You're listening to Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A brought to you by Blueprint MCAD. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. What can I help you with? So I uh, was wondering, I have been in the Air Force for 11 years. Um, I commissioned originally as a personnel officer, so for support. Um, And then about my fifth year in, or actually sixth, I got accepted my fifth year, my sixth year in, I transferred or cross-trained into being a medical service corps officer. Um, So right now, what that means is I'm a healthcare administrator. um, And, you know, after my exposure over the last, you know, five plus years to medicine, because this is really my first time being exposed to medicine, um, my dream of wanting to become a physician has resurfaced and I actually decided to do something about it this time. So I started taking my prereqs um, and trying to essentially build my resume, if you will. Um, But I think my main question is, how do I translate my military service in a way that will speak, I think, to admissions committees and uh, the AMCAS application because I've looked at a couple of things and, you know, saying I'm a force support officer doesn't mean a lot on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yes, I think that's my main question. Yeah. So so the AMCAS application, nothing like OPR bullets where you have to squeeze yeah. in all of these freaking keywords and make sure there's no white space. And they, right. I, I think OPRs, OPRs were probably one of the biggest reasons why I never wanted to, to stay in the military, <laughs> besides the health issues that ultimately <laughs> led me there. Uh, whenever OPRs came around, I was just beating my head against the wall going, why do we care about this? It's just, it's not important. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Random OPR PTSD out of the way. Um, I don't think you need to translate. It's a very common concern that uh, especially military members coming out of the military because there are so many acronyms and so many weird career fields and so many different mm-hmm. job titles and duties that you have. That you're like, okay, I need to I need to make sure that the, the medical schools understand everything that I did so that they understand what skills I have. Mm-hmm. Medical schools don't care about your skills. Okay. Medical schools will teach you the skills that you need to be a physician. They care about your traits are you empathetic? Are you compassionate? Are you hardworking? Those are traits that you have. They don't care of the skills that the military has taught you. Just being in the military alone, having that on your application will stand out because we know, I think the far majority of people know, that the military is an amazing organization in terms of teamwork, in terms of collaboration in terms of camaraderie in terms of just being a good person to the people around you now it's not always the case but ideally right or else the military Mm -hmm. wouldn't work very well so the 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 fact that you have that on your application already makes it stand out so i wouldn't worry about making sure that as you put your your um, your job title on there and all of the intricacies and nuances of what you do day in and day out as a healthcare administrator, as an MSC officer, I don't think that matters. 
What matters is the impact that you had, not the skills and day-to-day job that you had. So from an MSC standpoint, right, from a healthcare administration standpoint, Mm -hmm. you could talk about efficiencies, right? As a healthcare administrator, your job potentially is to help increase efficiencies so that doctors can see more patients or or you guys can build TRICARE more money, although that's not really how it works, but it is how it works. Right. Um, right. And and so you can you can talk about numbers in that way. It shows your impact that you had on that career field, on that um on that um medical group or whatever that you Mm -hmm. um, are part of. And so impact is so much more important than skills that you think you need to translate for the medical schools. Does that make sense? That that makes sense. That makes sense. And I'm, as you say that I'm thinking about, because I work at um, the defense health headquarters right now, and I'm just thinking about like that impact and yeah. Yeah. Big, big impact working at headquarters, right? right? So, so how many, um, uh, how many medical groups are you dealing with on a day-to-day basis? How many personnel are you impacting on a day-to-day basis, right? Very similar to what you would think about in an OPR bullet standpoint, right? Right. right. But not in the OPR bullet language and, and, uh, and, and other stuff. So, um, but it's, it's that same line of thinking in terms of impact that make for a good OPR bullet that also make for a good story in an AMCAS activity description, because you can show your impact through a little anecdote, a little story, uh, not necessarily mm-hmm. just listing off your job title and all of your job duties. Cause that, that'll get very boring and go right over everyone's head. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, it's what you said spot on just getting out of the mode of OPR because it's this very special <laughs> way to write that I've been used to writing for yeah. 11 years that now I need to be able to um, craft a narrative yeah. that, you know, says the same thing, but more yeah. using more words. Having that OPR background will help you because it's the same line of thinking about your Mm -hmm. impact, right? When, when your supervisor says, Oh, give me, give me some potential bullets for your OPR. I want you to think like that. Yeah. I want, I want you to think like that for your activity description, but then obviously expand on it because it's more than just one line expand on it because you have 700 characters of a, of a narrative that you can tell. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I I think I'm going to have to start working on it because, you know, there's, there's so many things that we do in the military and I think picking and choosing what's going to be the most impactful, what um, is the most meaningful is going to be, I think the harder part. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And so another common thing that comes up, and I know this isn't your specific question, but another common thing that comes up specifically with military members is how do I get across all of the things that I've done in the 11 years that I've been in the military in 700 characters? And the truth is you can put your your previous um, AFSC, your previous career in one activity, your new career in another activity. 
If you're kind of a supervisor of other people, you can do that as another activity, listing that as leadership. Mm-hmm. So that you have a lot of flexibility when it comes to mm-hmm. how you want to slice and dice your 11-year mm-hmm. military career in the 15 spots that AMCAS gives you. There's no set rules that says you're in the military, that's one job, you only get one spot for it. You can you can do as many as you want. Right. I would probably wouldn't suggest more than three um, at the most, depending okay. on on what your specific kind of path has led to. But that's that gives you some flexibility in terms of where you want to talk about different things in different parts of your journey. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And just kind of along those lines, I guess a follow-up question would be, um, so let's say I do use those three spots for my military um, because I, I went to undergrad a long time ago, 2005 to 2010. Um, that is that information still, I guess, as relevant yep. as far as activities I did, yep. you know, organizations, leadership. Okay. Yeah. A- anything impactful, no matter how old it is, it's, it's okay. okay. Post high school is, is the one caveat for the activity descriptions. Okay. Well, I've got plenty of years of activities Good. Good. to put on there. Yeah. Yeah. So AMCAS, it'll be hard because you're limited to 15, but ACOMIS or TMDSAS, if you're applying to either of those, those give you unlimited spots. So that, that makes it easier. Okay. okay. All right. That's awesome. Okay. So I have a question for you. Yes. You mentioned your dream of being a physician. Mm-hmm. It sounds like at some point before okay. you went into the military, you wanted to be a physician. And that may be important to talk about in your personal statement. So what did your path look like? So I'm glad you brought that up because I also wanted to talk about this also. So um, I grew up uh, with my grandparents um, in South Carolina, definitely, you know, very inner city. um, I don't want to say poverty stricken area, but basically that. Um, went to public high school and I would say starting maybe around eighth grade, um, I had this dream of becoming a physician, but I was never, I've always loved helping people. Um, my grandparents, um, they raised me kind of with a very, um, activism mindset and very just, you know, we are of the people and if we don't all work together and, you know, band together, then we could all crumble. Um, okay. So it's, it's very rooted in me to help people and want to care for people and uh, make any situation better. Okay. Um, so I kind of got that dream to become a physician. Okay. I so, say so, pause, so pause for a second. It's a Mm -hmm. very common thing for people to say that to me makes no sense on how you tie that to being a physician. So you have to be very careful and do a little bit more digging and do some deeper Mm -hmm. reflection as to how it led to medicine. Because what you just described is really just being a good human being, right? Of of kind of caring for another human being, being an activist, Mm -hmm. making sure everyone is okay. Uh, Mm -hmm. You can go into politics, policy, activism, all this random stuff. Nothing that you said goes, oh, yeah, I can see why you want to be a doctor. So do do some deeper reflection there to see maybe what what triggered that for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
So yeah, I'll, I'll try to hone in more on that. But I think, so I looked, I, I did a lot of research online because we had one computer in our house at that time. Uh, but when I could, I would do research and kind of see what uh, was involved in the healthcare field. And whenever I would go to my doctor's office, I would ask them questions. And I was probably the annoying kid, but nevertheless. Um, but somewhere along the way in my path in high school, um, I didn't see it as a reality for me because I, I didn't know anybody who was a physician. I didn't have, you know, any mentors that were even in the healthcare field at all. Um, but I did see the military as an option um, for potentially going that route, um, just didn't know how to get there. Um, so that's when I started to kind of transition my focus to making sure I was able to join the military. And uh, once I did join the military after college, um, I did ROTC, I commissioned. And then, because um, even becoming an MSC, even when I was in college in ROTC, it was kind of like a very hush-hush thing, like nobody had any information on it. Um, so when I joined the military and I actually started to, to talk to more people in it, um, I had to get my master's degree to do that. So then I did that. And then I was able to cross train to become an MSC. Um, and then that's really when I started to work with doctors and PAs and nurses and really get a glimpse into their life and what being, you know, a healthcare provider looked like. Cause at that time, you know, I was just starting being a healthcare professional as an administrator. Yep. Um, but getting that exposure really is what kind of put the fire back in me and, you know, allowed me to really have the audacity to think that I could do it again. Um, Because having a dream is one thing, but actually believing it's a possibility is another. And I realized that now in my life that I see it as a possibility. Um, So, yeah. And and honestly, I have the military to thank for that because other than that, I wouldn't have had any like real personal exposure. It, it is a story I hear all day, every day, especially from people coming from disadvantaged backgrounds, coming from, mm-hmm. from impoverished areas, coming from minority backgrounds that just, I don't see someone like me. I don't know anyone that does this. I, and because of that, I don't think I can do it because nobody else around me is doing it. And, and I'm glad you finally got that exposure and and here you are a little bit later, but, but still here now saying, okay, I'm ready. I can do this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think just going back into school, because I started doing my science prerequisites um, last spring and just going back into that and being successful in doing it has been just real motivation for me because you know, not taking in, I mean, I was a journalism major in undergrad, so clearly no sciences. Or or goes just a little bit different than write me an essay. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, you know, jumping back in and getting all A's so far in my science classes has been such a blessing. I mean, I'm taking organic and physics now, so we'll see how that goes for the fall, but your, um, it's definitely been motivation. Your journalism background will help you crush the MCAT as well. That's what I'm hoping. You know, I keep hearing all these things about cars and I'm like, 
I feel like I'm a good writer, but I don't want to, you know, over, overhype myself up. No, I, I, I'm assuming you need a little bit of an analytical mind to be a, a journalism major to, to read some things and, and come to conclusions and write about those things. So, and that's what the MCAT is all about. Even the science sections are all about critical thinking and analysis. And so I have a feeling you'll do very, very well. So I, I'm excited to see how that pans out for you. I hope so. I'll definitely keep you informed for sure. Um, what is, what is your yeah. plan for MCAT prep? So I don't have any formal plan for MCAT prep right now. Um, I do want to take the blueprint diagnostics just to kind of see where I'm at um, before I really start focusing in on what I need to study. Um, Because I'm still full-time active duty and I'm taking classes, I um, am trying to set up like a six-month study schedule for myself um, because I think I'll need all the time Um, because I know I won't have eight-hour days every day to study. Yeah. so my plan is to do a blueprint diagnostics uh, next month okay. and then see where I'm at with that. And then um, I wanted to take a formal MCAT prep course, but because of COVID, everything's still online. Um, and I think I would most benefit from being in person just so I can isolate myself from um, doing everything else online outside of work. Yeah. Uh, but um yeah, I don't. I don't have a formal plan yeah. as of yet. The the Blueprint Live Online course, which is relatively new, has it, it is online, and, and I would say going to a, a brick and mortar, right, uh, MCAT place. It's it seems so antiquated nowadays, uh, <laughs> and you're limiting yourself to go. Well, this might not be the best teaching for me or the best kind of methodology or the best material, but Hey, it's in person. So I'm going to go. So just, just be careful with that line of thinking. The blueprint live online course has 16 hours um, or 16 classes where it's like scheduled Mm -hmm. classes. You can retake them if you want them with two instructors. So it kind of gives you the feel of having the accountability that you would, it seems like you want going to a place that separate you from where you're, you're at now. Um, so that may be something to potentially look into, but with the, the diagnostic that you get from blueprint, when you sign up for that exam, you also get access to their study planner tool. And so that'll help you kind of plan out those six months or so that you're planning on studying for the MCAT. So check that out too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. will. Cause my, my plan is to take a spring MCAT, so potentially um, April, May. So then that way, you know, I'll be ready for application season yeah. next year. March, March, April is better than April, May, if you can swing that. Okay. Um, but yeah, it, so- it sounds like you're thinking about everything in the right way and, and have, have planned everything accordingly, which is very, very uh, military-ish of you. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be prepared. Yeah, because, you know, the other flip side of that, what we talked about in the beginning is um, getting released from the military to be able to pursue the program. Yeah. Um, I pretty much have to have all my ducks in a row Yeah. Uh, if they are going to release me. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that for a second, because a lot of people, potential mm-hmm. military people listening to this, and I, I've had lots of conversations mm-hmm. over the years, uh, especially when you have some years left on whatever commitment you've signed. Um, mm-hmm. If you're planning on 
applying to medical school, like the military has to be okay with it. So is is the sales pitch to them, look, release me. I'm going to go um, go get my medical degree. I'll do HPSP or go to USIS mm-hmm. and I'm just, I'm mm-hmm. going to come back. I'm going to keep my uniform on just in a different, another career field. Is that, is that the sales pitch to them? So that's typically the sales pitch. So I think there's like two ways you can do this. So if your active duty service commitment is about to be up and you just want to get out and you want to go to medical school, then you don't need anything from the military, right? You just do your time, you get out, you can use your GI bill for medical school or pay for it however you want. Um, But if your plan is to come back in um, and or you do have an active duty service commitment, then yes, you'll need that letter. Uh, Specifically for HPSP and USHIS, you'll need uh, what's called an LOA. And it's basically, it's either a letter from your wing commander or um, like for me, if you work at a, a headquarters, potentially the, the geo in your chain um, saying, you know, this member is clear to compete for HPSP or U-Shoes. And if they are selected for the program, we grant them permission to be released. Um, so what that does, it'll release you from your current active duty service commitment. And then if you are accepted into HPSP or U-Shoes, then it'll tack on whatever the commitment is for those programs. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's the way. Well, fingers crossed. Good luck. Anything else I can help you with? Um, no, I think that's all. I mean, I'm sure I'll have some follow-up questions. Um, so may want to jump back on here <laughs> for another episode <laughs> one right. day. Um, but I appreciate your time. I appreciate the information. Um, and, Thank you. And I will be following you along and I will make sure I keep you updated on my journey as well. So thank you. I appreciate it. Good luck to you. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you so much for joining me here on Ask Dr. Gray Pre-Med Q&A. Did you know that we record these live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Eastern on most weekdays? Search for Medical School HQ on Facebook and like the page to be notified. Don't forget to check out our amazing Facebook group, The Hangout, at medicalschoolhq.net slash group.